Welcome to the Drop Time Report. Turn up the volume and listen to amazing stories about big bucks and the hunters who harvested them. Here's your host, outdoor writer, Tracy Breen. Welcome to the Drop Time Report. On this week's episode, we're going to have on Michael Hunsucker from Heartland Bowhunter. He's uh, one of the hosts of the TV show. Heartland Bowhunter is probably best known for creating amazing footage. They're really good editors of video. They're really good at telling an amazing story. And today we're going to talk about an old buck that Michael was able to kill last fall. Not a giant scoring buck by any means, but a buck that they had an amazing long-standing history with. Uh, and then <clears throat> we're going to switch gears and actually talk about filming hunts, uh, how to do that, some of the gear required. Uh, as many of you know, Fourth Arrow Camera Arms is one of the sponsors of this podcast, and Michael talks a little bit about them and just filming in general and how to get started in doing that. Before we get him on the show, I'd like to thank my sponsors. Uh, my title sponsor, Redneck Blinds. Turkey season's coming if you're looking for a great blind a dual-purpose blind that's awesome for turkey hunting and deer hunting. Their soft-sided ghillie blind is a great one for that, redneckblinds.com. Fourth Arrow Camera Arms, uh, the top-selling camera arm in the hunting industry today. If you're going to film a hunt, you're going to need a camera arm, and the best one out there is the Fourth Arrow Camera Arm system. Windscent, makers of vapor uh, deer scent technology, uh, wind scent unit's pretty amazing. It actually heats up deer urine and vaporizes it. Uh, the heating of the scent and vaporizing it actually um, causes it to travel further. You can smell the scent from hundreds of yards away. We've actually had a bloodhound uh, test that. It's amazing technology, windscent.com. Morale targets, if you're um, in the market for a new target, check out morale Grim Reaper broadheads, uh, my personal favorite is their Whitetail Special Mechanical Broadhead. Pine Ridge Archery, makers of the Nitro Vein, a vein that's been tested and shown to retain more downrange energy than any other vein on the market. Schaefer Performance Archery, uh, they make the XV Arrow Rest, an amazing rest that contains the arrow <clears throat> from all sides. You can actually tip your bow upside down. The arrow won't move an inch when you shoot the bow. Um... It slides out of the way instead of dropping away. There's actually an arm, a little finger on each side of the rest that holds the arrow in place, and it glides away. Check out the XV Arrow Rest from Schaefer Archery. Lucky Buck Mineral, now's the time to put out minerals. Spring is here, so check out luckybuckmineral.com. The Outdoorsman's makers of great tripods for glassing game out west, as well as backpacks. They have a lot of great American-made backpacks for whitetail hunters and western hunters. Uh, Huntworth Clothing. If you're on a budget, don't want to spend an arm and a leg on new hunting clothing, check out HuntworthGear.com. They not only have amazing clothing, but also top-of-the-line hunting gloves that just fit and feel better than anything else out there. Last but not least, Wilderness Athlete. If you want to shed a few pounds, check out WildernessAthlete.com. They have a <coughs> variety of nutritional products as well as energy drinks. Uh, my favorite drink, Hydrate and Recover. Enter Drop 10 at checkout and get a discount. Now let's go ahead and get Michael on the show. Welcome to the show, Michael. How are you today? Hey, how's it going? I'm pretty good. How, how's life treating you there? Not bad, not bad. It's a fun, fun time of year. We're 
we're kind of wrapping up our whitetail duties and, and gearing up for turkey season. Yeah, the gobblers are starting to sing their song, I would guess, with the with the warm weather. Um, yeah. Today, I kind of wanted to talk about a bunch of things, um, starting with a buck you killed last fall. It's kind of a unique story, an old buck. Old bucks don't always score the greatest, but they're awesome stories and, and awesome bucks to live to be seven, eight years old. Those are the old warriors. Um, so kind of just highlight that story for the listeners and and. You know, tell us kind of how long the story is it? Uh, was it several years where you guys chased them for two, three, four years? Kind of oh, yeah. highlight that for us. Yeah, yeah, that's one of my one of my favorite things as a whitetail manager, self-proclaimed whitetail manager, is literally just watching deer, you know, grow year after year and and keeping track of deer. I am a deer nut. You know, I got all my trail cameras organized based on you know the deer and their age and the year and um just literally keeping track of those deer finding their sheds um learning their patterns over over the years um is is one of the most rewarding things for me as i've kind of evolved in my hunting my hunting career you know getting started out early um and necessarily wasn't all about that and i still am not all about that i'm I'm not afraid to uh i'm all about the experience and what what gets the heart rate going and and uh what's fun and exciting so uh, but yeah, I love, I love the building history with deer and it's, it's pretty uncommon for us to, to do that on the, on out of state hunts, um, you know, building history with deer. Most of the time it's, we're doing that on our home properties here in Missouri, but this particular buck, um, was on a property out in Kansas with, uh, Heartland Pride Outfitters, a group of guys who we hunt with and have been hunting with for several years now. And, uh, great group of guys. We go out there and archery hunt you know, every year. And we usually go right around the, the rifle season of Missouri. So second week in November, typically, um, ruts full bore. And it's just one of those unique places where the, hunting the rut out there in Western Kansas is just, it's, it's hard to beat. It's, uh, cottonwood Creek bottoms and little, little draws and ditches and not a ton of timber. So picture perfect rut hunting, you know, a lot of pinch points, the deer are active running around like crazy. And so, it's one of those, one of those fun places to hunt, and um, mm-hmm. the story with the with the buck that later got the name Arrow Eight started with uh, with Sean back in let's see 2000 and Sean's your co-host, right? Yep, yep. So my yeah, my business partner Sean uh, was out there. We were both filming, you know, filming our hunts for the for the show and hunting. We were hunting separately, but um, yeah, I want to say. 1819 yeah 2017 um was when it all all kind of got started and sean had this encounter had this buck come in and made a what looks like a perfect shot on him just kind of quartered away right behind the shoulder instantly could see some blood um we gave the deer some time came in blood trailed them great blood trail and just could not find the deer we looked and looked and looked we brought a dog in the next day looked and looked and looked and just and, and eventually just had to throw in the towel we we decided that he had to have um you know the the, the broadhead had to have slid uh, in between potentially the shoulder blade and the and the, the cavity and didn't get into the into the vitals and um sure enough i don't even remember if it was a week or two later the deer showed up on camera with the arrow still sticking out of him and so that's how oh, wow. he got, got the name arrow eight and um you know, I, I've been doing this long enough to 
to to see some crazy stuff, but those, those deer are just relentless, relentless animals. And so, so was the whole arrow in them then? Just stay, you know, sticking yeah. out. Yeah, the whole arrow fletching and all. And uh, it wasn't long after that the arrow ended up breaking off or falling out. One of the two, and um, and that deer continued to uh, avoid hunters. Like I said, it was with our our friends who outfit on the property, and and um, so they had other hunters in the area. They were hunting them, had pictures of them. And he continued to to elude hunters um, the the rest of the season. And so, the following year, I uh, I came out and was hunting, and I was hunting um, a buck that that they called Rico, and uh, he was a really really big deer, probably 190 inch deer, big non typical. But he was actually living on or in the same area as this pair weight buck, um, and so. I knew that the chances of seeing arrow eight would would be pretty pretty high, and although I was had my sights set on this this Rico buck, the arrow eight was a big 160 plus inch eight pointer at this point, so um, definitely wasn't gonna definitely wasn't gonna shy away from pursuing him. And sure. ended up twice, two or three times. We're, we're pulling all the footage together right now to put together the episode for this upcoming season, so it's gonna be an awesome story. Uh, but but we're we're getting everything organized. But I think I had three different encounters with this buck. And it, like I said, middle of the rut, just rut brain like crazy. Uh, one time set up, you know, in the cottonwood, kind of overlooking this bottom wide open area with, with a decoy. He comes out and I think I rattled to him to get his attention. He looks, sees a decoy, pins his ears back, just perfect locked on. Like, here he comes. He gets to like, I want to say 40-ish yards, you know, within... Oh, did I cut out there? Yeah, just for a second. That's okay, though. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so he gets to within 40-ish yards, I want to say, getting, you know, I'm just getting ready to draw back, and he, like, stops and, like, looks over to his left, sees a doe, and just bolts right at the doe. <laughs> like, he was, like, full-on fight mode, which I've never seen. <laughs> uh, you know, I've never seen a buck do that. Usually when they're, you know, committed, they're committed. You can't even stop them. You know, you can yell at them, and they won't even stop because they're yeah. just so mad. Uh, but nope, just jump, change of mind. There's a doe gone. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, that. Like, he was in my eyes, dead to rights, you know, it was going to happen. And so I was bummed and, uh, continued to hunt. Finally saw the, the buck Rico that I was telling you about the big 190 inch deer. Uh, mm-hmm. other guys had been hunting him and they had him on camera almost every night, but literally could never see the deer. It was almost like the deer was hunting them or had them pegged, like just, something about access to the area or something about, you know, something he knew he was just a smart, smart deer and finally laid eyes on him, but, um, he was locked down with the doe and I never did get it, get a chance. But like a couple of days later, had another encounter with the ROA. Here he comes just coming, cruising right down the fence line, coming right to us. And he gets literally, is just nose to the ground, just, just following this hot doe's trail. Uh, we never saw the doe, but obviously there was a hot doe on the trail. Nose to the ground, runs right by the decoy. I'm a de- I have the decoy 20 yards. It runs like literally 10 yards by it, doesn't even see it, and just nose to the ground, literally only following his, his nose, not even paying attention to what he's looking at. And uh, he just keeps on going. And I try to stop him, grunted at him, literally nothing, nothing he could do. Just read it up. Wow. Um, yeah, and so that was that was kind of where things ended. I ended up, uh, after, after not having much luck, I ended up switching farms and ended up, 
ended up shooting a different deer later in that in that hunt, but uh, never did never did have another encounter with him. The the guys actually did pick up his shed that year, one side, and uh, so I have that now to kind of reflect on. Uh, but uh, oh neat, yeah, yeah. So going into the uh, 2019 season, um, I hunted over there again. I hunted a different farm starting out. Arrow eight was around, I think, but they don't. You know, he kind of regressed a little bit, so he wasn't like a top hit lister, didn't get a lot of attention. And so, um, you know, none of us really hunted that farm that following year. I ended up shooting a different buck on a different, completely different farm. So, um, nothing, nothing to report in 2019, but 2000, okay. 2020, going back, going in, do it. I remember talking with the guys, and Jordy was saying, Yeah, you know, the Arrow 8's still around. He's not, uh, you know, he's not, not much to, to look at score wise, but he's still around. You can just see it's just tank, huge body, same, you know, he kind of has like a little curve in his G2 and just unique, unique buck that you could really, really identify. And, uh, he's like, yeah, he's still around, you know? And so he wasn't going to be my, my main focus. Um, but I like to, when I get out there, those guys kind of let us run and gun on the property, so to speak. And so we, hang okay. a lot of, we hang a lot of different stands and, and, uh, you know, we, we, you know, move around and do what we need to do to get in front of them. And, um, so I, I had hung a stand in this thicket where it was probably only a couple hundred yards from where Sean had, uh, had, sh- had shot the buck initially and where he ran to after he shot him. And so pretty sure this has been his kind of core bedding area and core area. And it's one of those spots, man. It's like a <clears throat> super, super tight, just cedars, thick nasty cottonwoods but there's just there's just not much uh window of opportunity when it comes to shooting but it's one of it's one of these spots that i I had a stand in there two years prior and it's one of those spots where you can just bang the horns together at any moment and have bucks come running in they just it's so thick they can't see and so uh really really cool spot so i hung a stand there in anticipation for some north winds that were coming and the cold front that was coming um, but was spending primarily most of my time on, on other properties, hunting other deer. Um, and that was until <clears throat> that cold front pushed in and decided to go to, go to that stand, give it a shot. And crisp morning, I want to say it was like in the twenties, just cold, cold, crisp and calm. You know, you could just hear a rattle just echo for miles and, um, something about those deer out there in Kansas, they just, they just come to the rattle. They fight just the buck to doe ratio is really, really good. A lot of, a lot of competition out there. And so as soon as day, daylight broke, I banged the horns together and rattled in a couple different bucks. Um, some really nice younger deer. One was probably, I think a three-year-old one was probably a two-year-old, but come right to us, just right to the base of the tree. Just perfect. Just picture perfect. Um, you know, I really only have one shot to 40 yards. Everything else is 30 and under. And, uh, they hung around, just kind of looked and just kind of moved on. And it wasn't long after that, I kind of heard some splashing. We're right on a creek, but you can't see any of the creek because it's just so thick. But I could hear deer walking through the creek. And it's, I'm talking lots of deer. And I'm like, oh, okay, something's coming. Sounds like a group of does, whatever. And it kind of trickles off like they were kind of continuing on almost past us. And so I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to rattle just lightly, kind of rattle the horns together. And so I did. And, uh, Sure enough, I don't know if it intrigued. This is this is getting to be later in November, and so the rut was kind of winding down at this point. Okay. Um, but I think it intrigued the does, and they were curious enough. I mean, they kind of followed suit and kind of came right across the 
right across the river. They they literally popped out. They come through the cedars, the cedar thicket, and popped out like, I mean, twenty yards below us. And so I'm looking with binoculars, looking, looking at feet, looking at seeing every you know every every head pop through there. I'm like doe, 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 doe. Like seven seven or eight does. And uh, I'm like, oh yeah, there's a good buck or like a you know decent buck behind there. And I'm looking and you know like I said, he had regressed quite a bit, so it wasn't a wasn't a giant score, but um, the second he stepped out, I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, it's arrow eight. I just immediately saw no. the giant size of his body just dwarfed all the, those, you know, this buck's seven years old, just a tank. And it's funny, man. You just, you just, I had grabbed my bow just in case, um, you know, when the does, cause you just never know what to expect that time of year. Sure. But, I mean, my heart rate went from flat to just pounding. Like, I was like, oh boy, like it's him. Like, let's make this happen. And, the does come through, filter perfectly in front of us. Like I said, there was not much wind, so really relying on the thermals at that point um, to, to to be rising and, and keep keep us from getting busted. But the does, you know, filtered out perfect right in front of us at like 20 yards. And uh, it wasn't long before he was falling behind and he steps out and he, he comes through like what kind of a clearing, but there's some brush in the way. And so I decided to just wait even on a trail that was going to come out like 25 yards. Perfect. And so as he goes behind the tree, I draw really slowly. Well, as I draw one of the does notices and jumps back and kind of gets nervous. And so he turns and walks straight away from us. No shot right behind a tree and is walking straight away from us. And um, these does are getting nervous, kind of stomping, looking around. And I told Brandon, it was filming. I said, you know, if, if he turns left, I watched the doe walk through right at 40 yards. I was like, if he turns left and walks to that gap, like I have one gap, that's it. And sure enough, he did. I stopped him. And as I stopped him, I look and there's just a limb that looks like it's perfectly blocking his vitals. And so I look at my sight and I'm looking at my arrow trajectory and I see, I said, okay, I, I got it. Like my, my pin was directly on this limb about halfway between me and the deer. And so I knew, you know, my arrow should peak right over the top of that limb. No problem. It should clear it. And so I pick a spot, squeeze it off, and I watch the arrow fly perfect right over that limb. And right before the arrow hits the deer, it hits a different limb that I couldn't see in my in my vision. And deflects and kicks straight down. And I was just like, oh, no, like not again. Like we're going to we're not going to get this deer like it barely hit him. I couldn't tell. But in my in my memory, I remember just thinking initially like, Oh man, like I just saw blood, like looks like a heart shot, you know? So I'm just all, all excited, but a little hesitant to be over anxious, you know, really excited. And sure. We play the footage back and look at it and it's just tough on the camera screen to tell exactly what happened. You know, we're all thinking, okay, looks good. I was like, well, we better, you know, we better just give him some time and sit tight. And so we played it back in slow-mo. I recorded it on my phone so I could zoom in and analyze it. And I, I zoom in and look at the shot and it's crazy. The arrow, the arrow passed the limb, but the fletching hits the limb. So the, the, the broadhead oh, wow. did not touch it, but the fletching hits, hits the limb and it hits the top of my vein. So the top of the arrow causing the arrow to deflect downward, but at an upward angle, if that makes sense. So the, so the, so the, the, the the tail of the arrow dropped down, but the tip of the arrow comes up. So it hits them. Sure. Okay. Like right in that line where the white and the brown hair meet. 
but it comes, it's angled up at like 45 degrees. So it's like the opposite of shooting him from a tree stand. It'd be like shooting him below ground. And so it, it entered low, but angled up all the way up into him. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, like I think that's almost, you know, it's got to be good. But it's just, it was one of those deals where his leg was back a little bit. So I was hesitant to say it was a heart shot because I thought maybe his leg could have been blocking the heart. It was just one of those uneasy feelings. And so we gave him an hour and a half. And I said, you know, I'm going to, I talked, I was texting all kinds of my buddies, you know, and getting everybody's advice. And, um, you know, we, we opted to go ahead and get down, see if we could find the arrow and maybe take up the blood trail, you know, just a little bit to see. Cause if it was heart shot, I had a feeling we'd be like, Oh yeah, we know. Uh, so we get down we go and we track and we go about 20 yards through this little cedar thicket and the blood's pretty good. Um, find the arrow and the arrow looks like it got good penetration. You probably, you know, eight to 10 inches of penetration. Okay. Um, but as the arrow falls out, we reach this like clearing and I'm like, okay, uh, I'm like scanning this clearing and look in and I decided I was like, all right, like, oof, you know, the blood is getting less now that the arrow's out. I don't know if it's heart shot. Like, I don't want to push it. Let's just give him some time. And so I say, you know, let's, let's follow this blood through this clearing. Cause if he's in the, if better than this clearing, we're going to spook him anyways on the way out, but we'll, we'll work our way out. And so we follow the blood and it's definitely decreasing, not looking like hard shot blood. And I round the corner and uh, I'm just looking, looking back to my right. And I come around the cedar tree and boom, he's laying dead right there. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I was so relieved. Cause at that point my, I was just starting to think like, oh man, like, is this all going to happen again? Is this buck going to get away a second time? But sure enough, he was there, probably didn't go, I don't know, 80 to 100 yards away from the shot. Um, okay. Ended up gutting him and looking at the, looking at the, the arrow and it actually got the, uh, it got the heart and it got the bottom of the offside lung. So it was a crazy lucky deal. Better, it was just a fluke deal, man. Better lucky than good, right? Is that it, where this saying works? Better lucky than good? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, my buddies like to joke with me a lot. They're like, yeah, you're the luckiest guy I know. And, and uh, you know, I get, you know, I get, I understand, you know, there's some luck into it. But in, in my opinion, you know, you make a lot of your own luck. Luck is where sure. hard work meets preparation and, and Absolutely. opportunity. And so, um, you know, it's one of those deals, just a fluke deal. I, I couldn't see the limb. Uh, I, I saw the first limb, like I said, but I couldn't see the second limb and just happened to, had it not hit that second limb, I think it was the shot would have been perfect either way, but it, it was weird. It's just amazing how it, uh, you know, deflected the arrow down at an upward angle, but just went up into the cavity. So one of the wildest things I've ever seen. Uh, tell me a little bit about the buck as far as, <clears throat> you know, what what kind of inches are we talking when he was four and a half and how big was he as he went downhill? You know, cause I've noticed in doing this podcast and interviews for magazines and stuff, it seems to be guys are killing a lot of big, big bucks now at seven and a half, eight and a half. Now, yeah. obviously every deer is different. So obviously, you know, he was going downhill for whatever reason, didn't have the nutrition or who knows what, but so how, how much did he uh, go backwards those last few years? You know, I, I never even ticked him out. I'm not a big, I'm not big on score anyhow. But I mean, when he was when he was four, he's probably 100, you know, 140 inch deer. Um, when Sean Sean arrowed him the following year, he blew up and was probably 155, 160. Um, 
same thing with the, the, the next year, I would say, you know, similar inside. And then at seven, saw a big, big regress. I mean, I want to say if, if I scored him now, I want to say he'd be 135 maybe. So okay, definitely regressed quite now a bit. Now he was an eight? He was an eight point? Just a clean eight. Yep, just a clean eight. Yeah, All those years he was eight. a clean eight. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, so yeah, like you said, sometimes, you know, deer get to that six, seven, eight, they start getting trash, getting some extra junk or whatever. But um, no, he stayed a clean eight. And, and you know, a lot of times – you know, stress and injuries can relate to, can equate to, you know, odd antler growth, but he never, never showed any sign of that. The following year after Sean arrowed him, he was his best year ever. So, um, okay. it's interesting to see, like you said, cause yeah, I mean, I know a lot of guys that, uh, you know, the, the like you look at Lee Likoski, a lot of his big bucks these last few years, I've interviewed him several times. I mean, his last few years, the big monsters he's killing are seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we were you know. with uh, Jeff and David Lindsay as well, and they're the same thing. I mean, they, they see a lot of that in Southern Iowa, just seven, six, seven, you know, seven, eight years old, reaching prime sometimes too. So uh, yeah. as, as whitetail managers in Missouri, we try to, we try to you know, get bucks to five. That's kind of our goal. Um, you know, everybody's, everybody's you know, standards or, or goals are different. Um, it's sure. tough it's tough in Missouri to get them to five. It just is with the rifle season being in the middle of the rut and <clears throat> lots of hunters. Um, it, it's difficult. And so, you know, I feel like this, this past year, I kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what, you know, last, last year I passed up 170 inch four year old in Missouri, got killed six days later with a, with a rifle on a neighboring property. And I said, Oh man, that's the last, that's the last time I do that, you know? And so this year killed 165 inch four year old in October, uh, uh, I was like, "Yep, this excites me, and this is what—that's what hunting's about." So he's getting shot. Yeah, no shame, yeah. no shame in that. Yeah, let's yeah. us let's switch gears and talk about filming. You guys at Heartland Bowhunter are absolutely known for being great filmers and telling an awesome story on TV and in film. Uh, you know, as you know, one of the sponsors of this podcast and one of the companies I work with is Fourth Arrow Camera Arms. So we always like to talk a little bit about that kind of thing. You know, everybody loves to film their hunt now. Every guy likes to oftentimes self-film. You know, what are some tips and tactics you can give guys to help them, you know, raise their game and produce better film? Yeah, uh, filming hunts is, is extremely rewarding. It's why I got involved in the, the business that we're in, we're in now. And a lot of people may or may not know that we, we actually got started manufacturing tree arms ourselves. And so okay. that's, that's what we did. We made the the Heartland Bowhunter Sniper Pro tree arm, which at the time was a super high end, you know, uh, Taylor, you know, designed for the big, super heavy cameras. But it, uh, the reason we did that is because there was nobody manufacturing tree arms at the time. And so, um, it's been really cool to see companies like Fourth Arrow come out with a ton of different products that are, you know, applicable to all sorts of different cameras. That's, that's been what's really neat. Um, being involved in the industry over the past 15 years is seeing the evolution of, of technology and camera equipment. And, uh, you know, what used to, what, what used to be guys having to lug around giant cameras can now, you know, capture what they, they need to on a small DSLR camera or small little handy cams. And, um, mm-hmm. that technology all becoming more affordable just makes the barriers to entry, uh, way, way lower. And so that's what Sean and I got started out doing was filming our hunts for fun in high school to share with friends and family and 
uh, we saw, you know, firsthand how rewarding that is. And that was our approach. Um, as you said, was getting in the industry was to really focus on storytelling, high quality, you know, footage at the time, 15 years ago, people weren't telling stories, you know, they were sharing hunts after hunts, after hunts, they were, you know, multiple kills in every, you know, episode, they made it look like you just get in a tree stand, kill a big buck, go to a tree stand, kill a big buck. And, you know, as you and I know, that's not how it works. And so, yeah, we wanted to focus on kind of telling that the story around, especially, you know, we're, we're hundred percent archery. So it's a very intimate sport, a lot of time and investment, um, goes into being successful. So we want to do, uh, we want to definitely, you know, show that. So it's cool to see more and more people get involved in filming hunts. We actually put on a film school every year, um, here in Missouri and have a, have a, uh, a group of guys come in and, and, uh, we kind of teach the basics of filming your hunts. And so, uh, we cover everything from equipment to techniques to storytelling. We do a little bit of stuff on editing, a little bit of stuff on, um, you know, time-lapse photography, drones, there's just everything. We kind of cover everything. And so what I always tell everybody, uh, when, when you're getting started and anybody who wants to get involved, I, you know, I always encourage them to, you know, do it for the right reasons. Number one, um, you know, it, it's, it's really rewarding and, but you got to be in it for the right reasons or it's, you know, not fun. Um, it's a lot of work, a lot of work filming hunts. And, uh, mm-hmm. but the, the other thing I say is, is find your niche. You know, that was, we found our niche starting out. Our niche was high quality storytelling, um, with relatable content. And that was kind of our, that was our go-to niche. Um, you know, if you approach the industry and you come into the industry trying to mimic what somebody else has done to be successful, you're always going to be one step behind them. And so, uh, I love seeing innovation in the industry and, um, at a time now where, there are very little barriers to entry. You know, anybody can start up a YouTube channel or a uh, Instagram account or Facebook account and, and, and put content out yeah. there. Um, you know, the, it's more important than ever. If you want to be, you know, get, get recognized, get noticed and want to make a name for, for yourself. And um, like I said, it always, it always boils back down to doing it for the right reasons. Um, because if you're not in it for the right reasons, there's no way it's going to work long-term, but it's, it's one of those processes that can be very, very rewarding. Give us, uh, you know, a couple maybe filming tips, either mistakes you see people make that, you know, there's simple things they can do to be better or maybe, you know, your favorite entry level camera or maybe a mixture of the both. You know, what what are some things guys can do to really raise their game without a whole lot of effort? Yes. And one of the first things that we cover, you know, when we talk about film school is, is, is running, the, knowing your camera and running the camera on manual settings and, this maybe isn't as important as it once was because some of the technology now, some of the capabilities of the cameras, um, automatic features are pretty dang good. And so uh, for the most part, though, we're still running all of our cameras fully manual, fully manual exposure, fully manual focus. Um, that's how you get the most out of your camera. That's how you get the image quality that you want. Um, you know, auto will work in a pinch here and there. But, uh, but yeah, really understanding your camera and running it, you know, manually is where you're going to see the most, most benefit. Um, so getting started out, it was kind of overwhelming. You know, you got for, to expose an image, you have your aperture or your F stop, you have your shutter yep. speed, and then you have your ISO or your gain. Um, and those three things affect your, your image exposure. And so obviously 
you know, depending on where you're shooting, environment you're shooting in, the, the lighting's changing. So starting out extremely overwhelming, but it, it becomes, you know, kind of second second nature as you get familiar with your equipment and under, better understand it. Um, now, how how about a camera itself? What do you think? Uh, what What is the go-to camera these days for someone getting into it? Or if someone had a little bit of money to spend, what camera do you think they should, you know, they should buy? I, I always kind of push people towards DSLR route. Um, the DSLRs anymore now uh, have great video capabilities and you can also take photos. So I love the dual purpose. Um, not to mention you can help sell your wife on it by saying you're going to take pictures of the family with it. So uh, <laughs> there you but, go. There's the tip of the day right yeah, there. Huh? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But no, uh, the, the capabilities of, of DSLR cameras yeah, are, are very, very solid. And I like, you know, uh, we've kind of hung our hat on that cinematic look. You definitely get more of the cinematic look with the with the DSLR and the and the DSLR lenses. Um, there are so many options out there now that I mean, I can't even keep up with the the various options. We are very partial to Canon DSLRs. We've been running Canon for ever uh, since the very very beginning. We okay. the very first DSLR we had was the Nikon D90. And that was a that was the first DSLR that actually had video capabilities. So so we ran Nikon for a year, but then Canon came out with the uh, the competing. I don't know if it was a 60D or which camera it was, but we switched Canon and haven't ever looked back. So we're partial to Canon, um, especially on you know glass. We just invested in all the Canon lenses, so it made the most sense for us. But that being said, like. You know, you look at Sony and some of the other um, Sony and Panasonic and some of the other the other camera companies. You tend to get more bang for your buck. They're a little more. They tend to tend to be a little more feature rich than the Canons. The Canons have always, okay. you know, typically been more tailored towards photography. I feel like. So, mm-hmm. I feel like you can get more bang for your buck on a Sony uh, on the Sony side of things, but. I like I said I'm partial to the the color science on the on the can. I just love the look it puts off, and um, you know we're running now the new Canon R5, um, which is you know more expensive than you know it's the five thousand dollar camera, more expensive than most people are going to spend on a camera. Uh, but the capabilities are insane. I mean we we do a lot of production work in the industry. We have uh, you know red digital cinema cameras. We have big you know Sony cameras that are uh, film cameras as well, and and you know the the red shoots 8K. Well, this little five, this new Canon R5 shoots in 8K, and so the capabilities of these little mirrorless cameras has just gotten out of this world. Which you know, in turn, is trickles trickles down to their lower, you know, their lower line, lower end line. So really, when when it comes to picking a camera, it's all about budget and what you want to spend, um, and, and how you justify it. You know, if uh, for most people, they're not going to be able to justify buying a whole series of uh, a whole line of L series lenses that are, you know, a couple thousand bucks a piece. Um, yeah. You know, it, it may be the best route to get a more versatile, you know, Sigma makes an 18 to 250 uh, millimeter lens. It's probably like 600 bucks and one of the most versatile lenses out there. Granted, it's not going to be the best image quality when it comes to it, but like for most people, it's going to be plenty good enough. So. Um, sure. I always I always tell people you know it really boils down to what you want to spend and and how you can justify it. Now talk a little bit about self filming. I mean that's what Fourth Arrow kind of hangs their hat on. I, I know you guys probably self film some. How much of your hunting is self film versus having a cameraman over your shoulder? 
we we actually self film very very little um okay because of the it's so much harder it's it's, yeah it's just so much harder and um you know especially capturing what we need to capture for our show and and our style um but it it definitely can be done and when it comes to self-filming having you know the right camera arm and product um is, is crucial uh being able to get that camera in a position where you can film while being on point with the bow in your hand and ready it's 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 a whole other level but it's it's kind of one of those things for me it just makes the hunt even more challenging and, and so in the end it makes it even more rewarding than than a normal hunt so i encourage people to do it you know especially if you have the time you know you got the time to do it if your time hunting is limited and and you're more focused on being successful and putting meat in the freezer then uh, you may not want to may not want to mess with it but it's it's cool man the technology in cameras has gotten to where you know anybody can film i do a lot of stuff for you know instagram for my story with my phone my cell phone just literally point of view style, style stuff and you're not capturing the you know you're not capturing the the shot in you know 4k you know 1080 over the shoulder or whatever you know high speed but you can get a lot of cool content with your cell phone a gopro and you know a little dslr or a little point and shoot camera even Sure. Now let's close talking about uh, your turkey series. We're here at spring, you know, we're in the middle of March, and, and you guys are launching a, a digital turkey series. You, you've done that for how many years? This is our eighth uh, eighth year of the, of the full strut series, actually. So, And it's all for, online? Yeah, I've been doing it for quite some time. Yeah, we initially did it kind of as an online offering for, um, you know, for digital content, and we we run gun turkey hunt bow only no bond just kind of run around and, and try to make it happen and it's a lot of fun it's uh um it's very very challenging but yeah this is our we got our new new season coming out here very quickly and uh, new episodes dropping every week so um it'll get you fired up for spring we just released a trailer uh the other day and uh gets gets me amped up i'm ready to get out there and start chasing those birds what is the series called it's called Full Strut, and uh, it'll be released on. Uh, we release it on everywhere on our Facebook page, on our Instagram TV, YouTube channel. It's on Amazon Prime, Roku, uh, Carbon TV, Masioko. Okay, uh, all over. Everywhere, <laughs> every, anywhere. That's kind of been our deal. You know, we want our content to be wherever you're comfortable consuming content. So, if uh, if your go-to platform does not have our content on it, then you need to let us know. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. Well, I appreciate your time today. It's always fun talking, and you guys know your stuff. So thank you for taking time out and chatting. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do it. Well, have a good day. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. It was great having Michael on the show today. Thank you for all the listeners for listening today. To learn more about me, visit my website, tracybreen.com, T-R-A-C-Y-B-R-E-E-N.com. I'm also going to give away uh, some Huntworth gear today. So if you go to my website, once again, tracybreen.com, and just shoot me an email. The first couple guys to do that will get some free clothing. Until next time, have a great day.